This is the Raising Athletes Podcast, Episode 20, with Sue Enquist, softball's 11-time national championship and Hall of Fame former player and coach at UCLA. Hi. This is, I'm, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Once you know it's for real, I know. you're like, uh, 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 uh. Okay. Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Sue Enquist was UCLA softball's first All-American, national champion, and Hall of Famer. In 2006, she concluded her storied 27-year career as the head coach of the UCLA Bruins with an 887 win, 175 losses, and one tie record, making her the winningest softball coach among all active coaches. She is the only person in NC2A softball history to win the championship as a head coach and as a player. During her career, Enquist produced 65 All-Americans and 15 Olympians. She has been inducted into six Hall of Fames, including UCLA, Women's Sports Foundation, USA Softball Hall of Fame, and the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association. She grew up in San Clemente, California, and is also a professional surfer. This woman can do everything. Today, she is the owner of One Softball, which she has been actively creating for the last several years as her passion continues around a sport that she's, she grew up with and still loves. As a parent, listen in today and hear how she's giving us so many great nuggets on how you can support your daughter in developing her skills both on and off the field um, in, in pursuing her dreams in softball and in life. We really enjoyed talking to Sue. I hope you let you enjoy it as well. Hello and welcome today on Raising Athletes. We're excited to have legendary coach Sue Enquist, softball coach Sue Enquist on. Uh, but before we introduce her, let us tell us a little bit, tell you a little bit about ourselves. I'm Kirsten Jones, a peak performance and sports parenting coach. My passion is helping others align their values with their mission and their mindset to get what they want in life. As a former Division I volleyball athlete and a 14-year Nike executive, I've always loved understanding the power that what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three and someone who is currently in the middle of supporting my oldest son's dream to play sports in college, Susie and I have created this podcast to help others who are trying to raise not only strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people. And I'm Susie Walton. I'm the founder of Indigo Village. I'm a mom of four sons and a grandmom to nine little ones. I'm a speaker, author, and family coach. I've always loved sports, been an athlete myself, 
I'm still playing beach volleyball and bodyboarding and body surfing. My passion is kids. And one of the best ways I know how to support the kids is by supporting their parents and creating the family of their dreams. Yay. So Sue, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, we would love to approach this. We only have 30 minutes and there's so many things we would love to go deep with you on. But today let's focus on you've retired from softball and you've created this, you have this whole mission around one softball, which is inspire the player, organize the parent and educate the coach. So thought the best use of our time today would be to kind of dive into a little bit of each of those. Maybe we could talk about, you know, we're three women who grew up in the 60s and 70s and were competitive athletes and some and still are at, at different levels. Um, and all, all of that happened on the forefront of Title IX. And through your coaching um, and now what you're doing, you've seen a, a lot of changes and, and evolution as to the girl and the athlete that you see showing up on the softball uh, field. So can we start with with the athlete and, and inspiring the player and talk to us about your mission and vision with that. Well, thanks for the opportunity. The first thing that I'd like to share is to just give our listeners some perspective on the student athlete experience today versus if some of our listeners, moms or grandmoms or dads or granddads are out there. The biggest difference is the athletes back in the 60s and 70s were really those almost like field rats. They were girls that just dug in and would fight the good fight because for many of us, it wasn't necessarily a popular thing to do. We were outcasts in a way. There weren't a lot of opportunities. So the environment then, depending on your close inner circle, both from a community level or travel ball experience level, could be varied, but the common theme amongst those that competed in the 50, you know, in the 60s and the 70s was we were a relatively small group of people. The difference today is we now have a cross-section of society that has had a complete open access to athletics. So what that means is the girl, gosh, back in the 60s that loved being active but didn't really want to do the the competitiveness, maybe she was a flag girl or a cheerleader. And what's great now is those girls that love being active, those girls that may want to be a dance or a cheer, all of those women now can be a part of athletics. And so we have a bandwidth of women that are participating, which has allowed our sport to grow because of Title IX. We're the only country in the world that has a federal mandate that there's equal access to boys and girls in education and athletics. So the bigger issue from this, we now have great access as female athletes. We have great opportunity. We also live in a time where our society is somewhat unstable and our family unit is somewhat changed. Uh, from back in the day when we didn't have as many blended families. And so there are a lot of forces that are working against the young student athlete today, especially the female. And what we're trying to do at One Softball is really identify those skills that allow people to be successful, whether they were competing in the 60s, in 2018, or 2050. There are certain timeless skills that we still have to identify, develop, 
and sustain. So can you give me some examples of what those would be? One of the things that we found was that there are certain foundational things that happen in the family that allow the student athlete to develop their own, what I call individual operating system. So student athletes that stay in sport and are successful as they move through their competitive journey, they've been given a really strong foundation of who they are. Think of mom and dad saying, wow, you know, wow, Susie, you really show great work ethic. You really show patience. You have excellent grit. All these are process words that have to do with how you operate each and every moment of the day. And the parents that focus on process skills and not results are the student athletes that end up believing in themselves so they can go into an activity or an event or a competition and know that their worth, their self-worth, isn't going to be contingent upon winning the game because they have been dripped in their brain over time that you really are a good person. Now go out there, give it your best shot. If you win, lose, draw, we still love you. We know that parents that are doing this at a very young age, what I call a drip method, dripping that for 10 years until your daughter heads off to college, we know that student athlete has a greater opportunity for peace of mind and success. You know, while you're speaking about that, Sue, because I was, you know, I was, I was one of those girls in the 60s and 70s doing sports without a college scholarship or anything, just did it for the love of the game. But being number five out of 10 kids, my parents, they didn't, you know, they, they weren't the parent that was over pressuring and, you know, all about the win and, and, but they were also weren't the parent that, you know, even used those kind of words like, wow, you, you, you can see your persistence is paying off that grit you have. Like that would have been awesome to like be given a, a, a word to what I was doing to take with me. Um, but I actually, and I, but I also still think the fact that they just, you know, supported me in my sports without going to my sports or because there were so many kids that to me was even better than that's better than the parent who's over-involved and, you know, writing down stats and, you know, get, get paying kids for their money, you know, for their goals that they score. It's just, it's an interesting one listening to you. It's a, but I would have loved having some of those words given to me, you know, your, your, your the grit, the, the follow through, the persistence. I mean, those are key words that like you're saying, these girls and boys can take with them into their life and use them, you know, as part of their growth and journey. So thank you for sharing that part. You know, it's interesting that you talk about that. We've got some of the individuals that are helping us at One Softball uh, came from big families and uh, are in the same group as you and myself. And they said the same thing. They said, gosh, I kind of felt like I had to learn how to coexist and be a good teammate because I never was an individual in my family. We were such a large group. And so through, through just going through my life every day, I established certain behaviors that allow me to go participate in sports and find the love in it. But because you said something really critical. Whenever an athlete that experiences love, love of anything, you will have a bond that will allow them to stay in the sport when it gets hard. When, when a student athlete finds the love on their own, no one can permeate it. And so, like you said, like to this day, you're still playing and you're active because you, at a very young age, you, you may not even be able to articulate it, but 
you built a relationship with the game. And so we now have to, we have to unravel with parents in 2018. We have to first unravel where we are because we have these great parents that turn into knuckleheads because there's a bunch of knuckleheads around them. So they jump in the boat that says the world is flat. And now they're all screaming the world is flat and everyone's panicking. And so the first way you do it is you first have to teach people how to allow their student athlete to build a relationship with the game. And you, you can't do that if it's all about love the game because you're winning, because we can't control that part. So we try to teach our parents and performing children. You first must learn how to understand how you can have your student, your student athlete, your daughter become her best. She cannot become her best if she does not know what really special skills that she has and they're not, they have nothing to do with results. And I always tell parents, don't throw out a bouquet if you can't give the evidence of it. So don't say, oh gosh, you're such a hard worker. Say, wow, I really appreciate you you sacrificed that hour to do the reading while we were on the plane. That's going to put you ahead for the weekend. Now, nowhere does it say you're special, you're smart, you're an A student, but you're identifying micro, what I call micro behaviors that drive the process, which allows them to get their ultimate result. And the ultimate result is peace of mind um, throughout your life. So good. I I don't want to jump ahead, but we talked about you, 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 you've mentioned girls leaving the sport in record numbers at younger and younger ages, which then begs the question, so why? So when we, what's happening now in, in youth sports from your perspective, particularly in softball, that why are the girls, what is their motivation for playing to begin with and why are they leaving? Well, that, that, that question, um, the answer to that question is going to involve the, the two other um, parts of this triangle. And that's the parent and the coach. The, the young child is leaving sport. Women are leaving two thirds of the women, girls are leaving sport because of the pressure they feel from their parents, which is really misguided love and the lack of fun that's created in their practice environments. And so You have to really look at that more deeply to teach parents that screaming, you know, be confident, you're a winner, you're the best is actually more pressure on a student athlete today. And regarding the coach, the coach needs to understand their role in society first. What is my role in society? I happen to be in athletics, but what is my role in society? My role in society is for that child to say when they're 25 or they're 40 or they're 60 to that child to say, I remember Joe Clutie. He was my baseball coach and he taught me to believe in myself. Your job as a youth coach is to create the conditions for that student athlete to have fun. And in the process of having fun, they discover process skills that they are good at and they can carry those gifts with them throughout life. So when life gets tough, they can rely on their foundation. So my job as a coach, if I'm, you know, we, we've got to go back first. Let's first talk about the youth coach. 
let, let's in, 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 and I first want to own something because I have this obnoxious tone. I'm loud, but I have to own something. I have to own the fact, a disclaimer that I'm not a parent. So to all the parents out there, you don't have to get mad. You can just pat my forehead and go, oh, she doesn't get it. She's not a parent. Uh, but this is what I am to all those parents. I sat in one place for 27 years and I watched great parents go through our program. I watched wonderful parents go through our program. And I also saw parents that went off the track with their student athlete. And there's a pattern that occurs after 10 years of suffocating your student athlete. They come in scared, overwhelmed, and out of breath. So I encourage our parents, the first time you raise your hand, I'm going to help with my rec team. I want you to understand your job is to be an engineer of belief. Teach her how to believe in herself through whatever sport that you play. So parents, back off, identify the process skills, and to the coach, thank you for raising your hand to say, I will help in crazy town rec ball. But in that, there's a huge responsibility that you've got to create the conditions for them to have fun and believe in themselves. Can I play devil's advocate? Absolutely. I'm Mom. And, and I, I have all this pressure because that's all, all well and good. But I, you know, if I'm not winning, then the parents aren't going to want me there the next year. So I, it's all nice that we need to teach fundamentals. But ultimately, we want to be able to hold up the trophy at the end of the season because that's what matters at 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, right? Well, that's a system that's not uh, set a foundation. So when you get into your rec league, make sure that you have your group of five people that are establishing best practices and what our end goal is and what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. And then have a group that's highly vigilant in holding parents accountable when they go off the rails before the game, during the game, and after the game. The problem we have is it's very difficult for parents to make the tough decision to say, Number one, here's the process that you go through when you want to talk to a coach. In rec ball, nobody should be allowed to talk to a coach about playing time or game strategy. Parents, my gosh, it's rec ball. He, that guy at third base over there that you think is a knucklehead, this, this guy works at the Ralph's store. He's a, a director at Ralph's. He raised his hand and he said, I'm going to help with softball. Where we've gotten out of control is we haven't set a foundation to put parents in so they realize this is not about winning. It's not about winning. But you can't say it's not about winning if you haven't built in the processes where parents realize, hey, my role today in the car on the way to the, the park is to be a good listener to, to your daughter. When you sit your butt down in the stands, sit there and clap. That's all we need because I'm doing the entrance interview with your daughters that are 18 years old. Guess what the first thing they said? I couldn't stand it when my dad walks down the fence and is yelling technical tips. I couldn't stand it when my mom was yelling at the umpire. It was suffocating. And so we've got to get those messages to our parents. Go to the park. In the car, be a good listener. At the park, be a good clapper. Learn how to really clap well. 
because the student athlete today doesn't even want to hear your positive ranting. The student athlete today wants to just exhale on game day. And we're not doing that. We're sucking the life out of them, unfortunately. How about that? How about that? Like a little lambasting of the parents of 2018. I've been doing that for like 25 years with my parenting classes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Because yeah, it's, it's a perfect message for all parents, you know, parents of all parents, if anything, but you know, we're focusing on athletes right now, but it's so true. They don't, you know, they're so overzealous at times. They don't get what it, what the negative landfall is going to be with their kids. And we have to be real specific. Like I always tell people, when, you know, we're, we're all great on talking about a mission statement. We're all great at talking about, you know, what's your vision? What's your dream? Like I, I, I'm that person who's like, what's your dream? How about what are your action steps today to get 1% better? Don't, I, I don't want to worry. Everybody's got a dream. I want to know everybody's action steps today. Mom, your number one action step today is don't have dialogue on the phone that's inappropriate in front of your daughter. If you're vulnerable, you're tired, you're lacking confidence, go in a quiet room because you're a leader to your daughter. And let's talk about the mother-daughter role, right? Yeah. And you said you've seen it evolve over time and, and maybe not for the better. What, what, what is happening? Well, personally, like, I, I think we have two types of moms out there. We have the moms that aren't even anywhere near their daughter playing in college. Okay, that's that's one segment of our listeners. The other segment is, you know, my daughter's kind of legit, I think. I think that I want her to go from rec ball to travel ball, or we've got moms and dads out there that have got a child in, in travel ball. Let me let me share, first of all, to your listeners, I can pull the curtain back as a division one college coach that you're not gonna read about this in a book, you're not gonna hear about it in a podcast because coaches can't talk about this because they're representing their institution. When we go to the park to evaluate your daughter, we're evaluating you. So your dad, if you're yelling at the umpire, I don't want that at my university. Mom, if you're a crazy lady yapping and not paying attention to the game and complaining about, you know, the San Diego park and rec, I don't want you. I don't want people that aren't backing the program and supporting the program. And if you have issues with the program, there's an appropriate step. So to the mom first, your daughter needs a stable, emotionally consistent leader. And she needs somebody that can project peace of mind. I never had a kid that came in and said, you know what? I couldn't stand my mom because she just believed in the future too much. I never had a coach. I never had a player that said, oh, I couldn't stand my rec ball coach because he believed in me too much. And so at the end of the day, we've got to be mindful of our words in front of our children. And what I'm seeing today in 2018, moms want to be their child. When I hear a mom say, oh, Evelyn is my best friend. She's 14. (laughs) She's 14. She doesn't need a new friend, mom. She needs a strong female leader that can stand up for her values and be great on failure recovery. Teach her those two things so when she gets to college and she gets knocked down, she knows how to get back up and she can project success even in those moments where she's lacking confidence. So what tips do you have for moms around failure recovery? I love that term. Failure recovery, the biggest 
this is the biggest frustration for me as a coach. Society has tried to put failure in the closet. And I've been fortunate. Hey, listen, I want everybody to know something. I wasn't picked first. I wasn't the go-to girl growing up. I read from the special books in second grade. So I'm that person. But what I did have an opportunity to do, I had an opportunity to be around really, really high performers that sustain success over time. Rule number one for moms, exhibit great failure recovery. It's real simple. I made a mistake. Hey, my bad. I'll be better next time. And then just shush and move on. Stop deflecting and go, it's the league's fault and it's the gas station's fault and it's the global warming's fault. Stop passing blame. Your daughter is going to model after you. And college coaches want kids that have great failure recovery. It's the number one biggest secret. You know, we're going to talk about, you got to get your good grades. You got to be a hard worker. You got to stay positive. Listen, let me tell you what we're really looking at. How does she manage after failure? We're listening at the concession stand. Mom, we're listening to you talk to your daughter. And when you say, oh, you struck out on that pitch, that umpire sucks. I'm crossing her off the list. Because you have 10 years to teach deflection. I'm never going to be able to catch up to that skill. I can't uncouple that in four years. I want parents that hold their kids accountable. And not only that, teach them great failure recovery. Own it, move on, next pitch, next situation, next test, next event next party, whatever it is, own it and move on. And that's the most powerful skill this new generation could develop and parents can be a huge part of it. You know, along with that too, for parents out there, um, so because we will say things to our kids that were like later on, like, why did I say it? Or why did I handle it like that? So we've left that imprint on the child. And another tool is to go back and say to your daughter or your son or whoever, like, you know what, when I said A, B, and C, that wasn't okay. And, and I just want to come back because what I could have said is, you know, D, E, and F. And, yeah, the, great. and so then they're, now that we're going back and showing, yeah, we made a mistake, but now we're putting a different imprint onto their brains. Like, oh, this is a different way of handling it. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great benefit to our kids when we can actually do that. And, and remember what, you know, we, we have a fear. We have a fear today in 2018. There's a low burn of fear. I'm the rec ball coach. I have fear that I'm going to have the right call. As a parent, I have fear that my daughter's not going to get a scholarship. As a student athlete, I have fear that I'm not going to be able to get the hit. At the end of the day, we need to embrace fear. Fear is a natural emotion. And it's one that really is important. It's vital to our life. Fear is a heightening experience. And so we always teach our student athletes, when you feel that, Embrace it because it means your body's ready to go to the next level. Your body is amplifying itself because it's sensing that it's being threatened. It's okay to have fear. What's not okay to do is to succumb to it and be short or be a deflector, deflect the excuse or not go for it. And so once we teach students and parents that fear is okay, let's own the fear. And let's what we call the confidence bridge. A confidence bridge is student athletes must know how to speak nice to themselves in performance development. I got to speak nice to myself every day. How do I do that? Where did I get 1% better? So if I'm teaching myself that daily dialogue of where did I get 1% better, mom, dad, daughter, 
son. Where did I get 1% better? Here in school, here at family, here at, at softball field. Now I've got that vernacular Monday through Friday. I've built up what we call our inventory, our performance inventory. Then when we get in the moment of testing, we can say, gosh darn it, I've earned the right to be confident because of my inventory. And now I'm going to trust my eyes, let my body take over. Trust my eyes, let my body take over. And once they learn that system of speak nicely to yourself, move quickly through failure, build your inventory, and then just trust your eyes, let your body do the work, great things can happen to those kids that have put in the work. Trust your eyes. Say more about what does that mean exactly? Well, when you're in... Uh, when you're in a performance mode, we want the brain to be on auto, what what is considered autonomous mode. And if we were, to keep it simple to the people that don't, don't have the science background, there's a road up there where your thoughts go. And we want that road to be going in a straight line, so to speak. In other words, we don't want conscious. We don't want to be conscious of what we're saying to ourselves. We want it to be unconscious. That's our straight line road in our brain. If it gets into the frontal part of our brain, our brain will say, oh, watch out. She's got a nasty rise ball. Oh, she's also got a change up. Oh, don't forget to keep your hands up. Don't forget to go ahead and get to 50-50 on toe touch. When you start to become active in your brain in performance environments, you no longer can just trust your eyes, do the work. You're and so state, you're saying you're not in flow. You're just, yeah, you're not in flow. Exactly. And so once the athlete can be in a third person watching themselves, they, in our sport, we can stop the game because we can step out of the box. Mm-hmm. We clear, we clear our head. We take our two deep breaths. We have our focal point that represents our inventory. And then we step back in and trust our eyes, let our body do the work. It's awesome. Well, this has gone way too fast. <laughs> we need more time, but um, I'm afraid we're to the end of our half an hour. But before we let you go, um, here at Raising Athletes, we always like to end with, with one question for our, our guest experts. And we'd love to hear your thought, if you could finish this thought. The best athletes I know do this. The best athletes I know can appreciate success and failure the same. Ooh, say more. That they see failure as a future roadmap and they see success as a stop off on their road to discovery. They look at both of them with equal value. I can't get to one without the other. So success and failure are equally important to them. They're not running from failure. They know that it's part of the equation and they use it and they value it in their development. So great athletes look to success and failure with equal importance. That's good stuff, Sue. Yeah, it's very good. So where can all of our, we know we have some softball parents out there and you have this amazing mission, which we'll go into it in a future date, but where can they find you on social media? Where can they tap into more of this amazing wisdom you have? Oh, thank you. It's just, I first want to say it's an honor to, to be with both of you. Both of you have had amazing success. So I love being in your bubble today. Uh, anybody can reach me at sue at one softball. 
Uh, one is spelled out, onesopball.com. Socially, you can find me at Sue Enquist. And um, the onesopball.com website is our place where we're handing out. Uh, we have over 600 videos in the queue. They're all two minutes or less. And it's about empowering our, our families and our student athletes and our coaches uh, to reach their best self. And you can't do that without failure recovery. You can't do that without your emotional inventory. So our website is about all of those things for our for what we call our performance unit. Uh, parents have to perform, students have to perform, and coaches have to perform. So onesoftball.com is trying to be a place that's free uh, for our parents to get some insight along the way, because it's a crazy town life if you're a parent of a student athlete today. Indeed. Thank you so much. This was so yes, thank inspiring you. and it's so great to hear you talk about it from all of your experience and what you're seeing as, as a, a Hall of Fame coach. And, and Susie and I have been saying, oh, this is so great to have another perspective. Um, and we we're saying the same thing around failure and recovery and all of that. But hearing you talk about it through your lens is is truly inspiring. Um, I could I could listen to you for another report. <laughs> I want to leave the, the moms with just one quick tip. This has yeah. is, is changed in the last 10 years. The mom today is actually, you know, many times a full-time worker, full-time mom, full-time supporter of the athletic uh, environment with their child. Um, and the mom has a lot of angst. And I want to share with her as a college coach, when I get your daughter when she's 18, she never keeps score that you're not at every game. She never keeps score if you're out of town. She's not keeping score on the quantity of the time together. She's only keeping score on the quality of time. So even if you only have that time with your daughter an hour a week, just be present that hour and don't worry about the quantity and don't look left and don't look right. Who cares about the Joneses down the street? or the Smiths that are down the block. You take care of your bubble, your kids, and be present, and all's going to work out. That's fabulous advice. I remember doing that when I was working full-time at Nike, and I would have to drop my little ones off at the daycare on campus, and they said, don't worry about how you part from them. Focus on when they see you, if they're excited to see you. Everybody's going to cry when they have to be separated from mom, but it's that return to you that they're really excited to be with you. You know they've had a great day. I was like, that was always such a good thing to hear. It's like, okay, it's okay to have a little separation anxiety, but then then they go off and they have this amazing day, and then they reconnect with you, and they're like, guess what I got to do today? You know, it's... Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Well, parents out there, if you've enjoyed this and you know another sports parent who is trying to get better at supporting their teen athlete, we would be so honored if you would go onto iTunes and rate and share this podcast. Our goal is to support support parents in not only raising strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people um, who are trying new things, who are failing forward, who are getting up and doing it all over again. So thank you, Sue. Um, We look forward to connecting again with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.